This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Equity Mike! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. It is the week of Christmas. It's our last recording of the year. Everyone's a little bit tired. This is going to be a loose episode. This is going to be good, yes. And we've got our very first expert back all the way back in 2017 joining us again. I would assume the most featured guest on Equity Mates. Yeah, by far. We haven't done the tally, but I think you've got the title. Uh, Andrew Brown. Thank you very much, Ren. Good morning, Bryce. Morning, Andrew. So you're here, uh, what is now an Equity Mates tradition to wrap up the bold predictions that you made at the start of 2023. Now, uh, start we, of 2022. So, sorry, start of 2022. We did warn it's going to be a loose episode. <laughs> now, Alec and I did our wrap on Monday, and boy, were we bullish. We uh, we had a few, uh, more than a few. Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> yes, boy, uh, were we wrong. I was also bullish about the Sydney Swans making the AFL Grand Final, so we weren't completely wrong. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I was also bullish about Australia winning gold at the Winter Olympics. Wasn't completely wrong there. Correct. We were so just wrong maybe, about our finance like, yeah, predictions. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> yes. So, Andrew, today we've got um, 14 of your predictions slash, I think, sort of more just general commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to, to go through some of them in detail. Uh, others we will um, we will review. I'm going to say ten out of fourteen. We'll be the ones judging this. <laughs> all right, Andrew. So we've clipped all of your comments from start of the year. Let's jump into the first, which really does put a nice uh, bow on where we're at. But let's have a listen. There's a good chance that inflation ain't going to go much higher. I'm not saying it's peaked, but it may not go much higher. It may not come down quickly, but this this may be the sort of the the it, but interest rates haven't caught up with inflation yet. And so what's going to happen over the course of the year is that long-term bond yields will rise in my opinion, and probably have a three in front of them at some stage. Short-term interest rates are going to rise because the Federal Reserve is going to push them up anyway. And as the Federal Reserve withdraws from buying government securities, 
which course pushes their price up and keeps their yields down, then the demand for government securities that yield next to nothing by anyone else on the planet is pretty pretty small. So the yields are going to rise, and they're going to rise a little bit in Europe. They're going to rise in Australia as well, despite what the Reserve Bank think. And so we're going to have a situation where interest rates are not going to normalise, but they're going to start on a pathway to normalising. Feel pretty good about that? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, in essence, that is what has happened. Yeah. For those of you who wonder, the inflation rate in December 2021 in the US was 7%. Mm. It's currently 7.1%. And it's been to, what, 7.8, I think, depending on how you measure it in terms of core CPI has been nowhere near that, but mm. obviously the total CPI has. So, in fact, I think what I said was, was pretty much spot on, that the inflation basically you know, had reached its peak, but it wasn't going to come down quickly, and that's exactly what's happened. I think we got, I think we got up to 9.1 in July. Yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah. It was 7, and now it's 7. Now, yeah. it's, now it's 7 again. And I think the reaction to that can't have been a surprise, which is that the bond rates have gone up. But in fact, of course, over the past few months, they've actually come down in the US as well. So the 10-year um, bond yield in the US peaked at four and a quarter in October. Uh, and at the time of speaking, it's about three and a half. So you said it would have a three in front you of it. You said it would have so, a yeah. three and, it, and, it, and it's got yeah. a three. And short-term rates obviously will catch up. Well, uh, the, the midpoint of the Fed funds rate is is 4.38%, the, the top end of it's four and a half. So that's categorically caught up because mm. I think at the time of speaking, I think the Fed funds rate was one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that's that side of things I think is important. The way I tried to break inflation down, uh, not necessarily in the broadcast, was was demand pull, which is basically lots of people want to spend lots of money. Yeah. Uh, that's happened and probably peaked. Cost push. That's definitely peaked. Yeah, that was container freight prices mm. and all those kind of good things in the supply chain. That's peaked. And then inflation expectations. And they've probably peaked as well. Mm. Touch wood. Right. So Touch well. wood. But, but that's less convincing than the other two. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we Bryce has written in our Google Doc, yes, in all caps and bold. So, <laughs> Andrew, I think that tells the story. Not uh, a problem. So, the next one was around uh, how you thought about investing for 2022. One of the reasons I'm so excited about 2022 from an investment standpoint and particularly from the standpoint of people listening to equity mates, you know, a slightly younger population than me, is that you cannot just invest on themes. So that was the comment slash prediction. What, what firstly did you mean by that? Okay, what I meant was uh, in, say, 2020 and 2021, I mean, number one, all he really had to do was be long equities, full yes. stop, yeah, just be long <laughs> index. But n- number two, it was actually best to have been long mega cap growth stocks in both of those years. In 2020, it was good to have been long sort of rather more speculative growth stocks and things like that, whereas in, in, in 2021, that, that wasn't the case. That would start to break down. I think it's fair to say on, on this one, I wasn't right. 
Okay. Okay, because there, there was one theme that, or there are in fact two themes that, that, in my opinion, dominated. One we're going to come to in a minute, which is mega cap tech. Okay, that you could invest on that theme, just short it all. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, because they were down. <laughs> okay, we'll come to that in a second. Okay, but the other theme, of course, was commodities mm. uh, on, on the long side. And it was commodities that maybe many of you would find absolutely repugnant, but, you know, things like coal, mm. yeah. things like gas, mm. uh, things like oil. I know oil's come way off the boil, but, you know, oil went up to 120 bucks a barrel on, on US crude before coming back into the 70s. So the theme was, and you can see it in the Australian market, which we're going to get onto as well, uh, that was the absolutely overriding theme in the Australian market. Mm. If you're going to be in the Australian market, hold your nose and, and buy commodities that you may not like and, and, well, you'll have had more money in your pocket at the oh, end right. of the year than the start. So you're giving yourself a no for that? The I'm giving myself the th- a half no. Now, the reason I say only a half no is... One of the other things that happened, there was quite a bit of takeover activity around and that was right across the market and right across the boards and that wasn't thematic uh, in any shape or form at all. It was just kind of quite widespread. I feel like it definitely became more of a stock picker's market this year. Definitely, no question. So I would have, just looking at that, I would have said yes, but hey... We can get go give you half a point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a harsh marker. It's like it's like my parents when they play the good weekend quiz on the weekend. Mum will try and squeeze out a quarter of a point or a third of a point if she gets like it directionally right. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll give you half a point here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. The next one, Andrew, was around where you would be expecting to see growth come from in the U.S. market. There is a real chance in a year when you have midterm elections. So the T word gets put back in the vocabulary, unfortunately, R-U-M-P. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's going to create a lot of uncertainty again, in my opinion. So I think it's it's really likely that trying to get 10% earnings growth out of the US in this type of environment may not be that easy. Okay. Yeah. And it's earnings growth that's got to drive the market because, as I've said, there's not interest rates going to drive it and there's not enthusiasm by investors going to drive it because they've driven out enough already. So it's got to come from earnings growth. So if you're buying expensive growth stocks, you better make sure they're going to grow this year because if they don't, they're, they're going to be a little bit troublesome. And that might even include some of the big eight. There we go. <laughs> Laid it down. So a couple of things there. Now, you mentioned Trump. Yep. Did you buy his NFT? <laughs> no. <laughs> I what? should have done. Apparently, I think the resale on them is ridiculous. Yeah, they're, they're, for up, a day. they're up already like a yeah, couple hundred It's a percent. bit like buying DWAC for a day. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Thing, <laughs> the but it, it had to be in and out quickly. Yeah. Uh, Bryce picked up a couple of NFTs. Nah, not true. So, so we'll... we'll the Trump back in the equation is a tick. Yes, because he ran out. His he was back in a- the equation, but obviously, certainly in terms of the midterms, I don't think had any impact. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, no, yeah. I think he had a profoundly Le- negative, negative yeah. impact. Yeah, yes, on correct. Candidate yeah. selection yeah. on yeah, that. Uh, yeah. That yeah. Posi- I mean, to, to be fair, that possibly wasn't what I was aiming at. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's certainly, the, I'm, I'm, you know, personally thrilled that's the way it's worked out. I mean, yeah. the only challenge to that was, was he ever out of the equation? I think there was a period of time where he went very, very quiet and then he really did yeah. lift as the midterms mm. came closer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, his candidates obviously got promoted and, and unfortunately for him didn't do well. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the next part of it, earn- 10% earnings growth won't be easy. 
Yeah. Well, I think from facts set we're at like 5.6% yep. for that the calendar year. That is correct. So the, it wasn't the, easy. Oh, the great irony is that when we made the tape for, for last year, which was January, the EPS for 2022 on fact set for the S&P 500 was 221 points. And guess what it is today? It's 221. Right. So, right, in fact, okay. uh, 2022 earnings expectations went up into about the 230s uh, and then have slithered back. I think everyone's aware that earnings expectations are being wound back at the moment for fairly obvious reasons. So, in fact, you had five and a bit percent earnings growth, but no exp- no growth in expectations from when we when we made the tape last year. Okay. So, 10% earnings growth wasn't easy. We didn't get there. And I, I was at pains to stress this when we made bold predictions 2022 was that the eight mega cap tech stocks that I define as the eight, um, you know, so uh, Meta, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Netflix, which I know is a smaller company these days, Amazon, NVIDIA and Tesla. Okay. I said, you've got to remember guys, they'd gone up 16% in the final three months of 2021. And on, on an average basis, gone up 45 percent over 2021 uh, and the average PE for these guys was about 40 odd uh, and so I said you know like wow these guys got to deliver to justify that mm-hmm. and one of the reasons the S&P 500 is down about 17% is that bluntly none of these stocks have delivered really with the exception of Apple. Mm. Apple down 20%, NVIDIA down 40%, Tesla down 60%, Microsoft down 23%, Amazon down 46%, Meta down 65%, Alphabet down 34%. I didn't get Netflix, but on average those seven Uh, are down. Netflix was down 40-odd, having been down 70-odd at one stage. When when Bill Ackman sold out. They're all value stocks But but I I think the conclusion there is that enthusiasm certainly didn't drive the market. No. Lack thereof. Some, some of those companies, are, well, some of them didn't deliver earnings, i.e. Amazon. But some of them definitely have a perception problem, perhaps more than a business problem. That's fair, okay, but a lot of them have got the business problems came to light for many of them during this year. And the business problem is that the competition between some of these guys in certain parts of the market is extremely robust. Think about cloud, okay? With cloud, you've basically you've got Amazon, you've got Microsoft, and you've got Alphabet all going for the same audience, mm. okay? And don't forget, Alphabet's the laggard in that one, whereas they may mm. be, you know, upfront in other things. You've got Apple who has decisively sh- shut the gateway on Facebook slash Meta, who are now going to spend billions to get round that gateway. Tesla, obviously, it's broadly delivered on its numbers, but, the, you know, the fact is the shares were just wickedly expensive and now, obviously, it's got this other issue that, you know, is pervading it, you know, being Musk and his attention to Twitter. So you actually look at it and each of them, with the possible exception of Apple which is more to do with just Chinese production issues and COVID and everything else. Most of them have had a little bit of a business problem as well, haven't necessarily delivered on the earnings, particularly in the third quarter of the year, uh, where that really came home to roost because advertising is slowing. You know, you might be dominant, but it's still slowing. And so, you know, what you've really had is you've had some issues weighing on them. The earnings multiples were too high. 
you had no expansion of earnings multiple because the bond yield's gone up. Uh, and so they just couldn't sustain, you know, the, the kind of cloud-like uh, mm. ratings that God they had. So All right. Put a question without notice for both of you. Of the eight, who does the best in 2023? NVIDIA. Really? <laughs> Andrew? Uh, Meta. Oh, yeah, I like that. Uh, I'm going to say Microsoft. In terms of stock price, I'm yeah, looking yeah, at, yeah. 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 All right, jumping the gun on I 2023 like, I like Meta. That's a, yeah, I actually bought some Meta right at the bottom. Hmm, so yeah. did I. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. There Absolutely. Yeah, first time I bought them, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. All right, so uh, a few yeses in there, a few no's, but I reckon we generally it's a yes. Oh, I, I think that's I'll, – I'll, I'll be blunt. Of, of all the 14 predictions, that is the, the one I on. think that that is the bang on nail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously. All right, so we've got two that sort of centre around China and Hong Kong, so I'll play both of them um, and then we can uh, and we can have a chart. The most obvious place to look because everybody else has said, we are not playing here anymore. We don't want to play on your pitch anymore. We're leaving and we've sold our stock and left. Can I guess? Have a guess. China. China. Absolutely right. Uh, The second place to look is Hong Kong because Hong Kong got really shredded because Hong Kong was supposed to have some degree of autonomy from China. And obviously, as we saw in 2021, that disappeared. My favourite play in Hong Kong, and it has the ticker symbol one. Oh, actually, oh, 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 one. One dot Hong Kong is basically CK Hutchison. First place to look, China. Second place, Hong Kong. How'd we fare? Not good, but not as bad <laughs> as you might think. Okay. Okay. So I'm not trying to wriggle out of this. Okay. <laughs> Quite clearly, if we had have recorded this in October. Um, I'd have been hiding under the desk in a big way. <laughs> Hong Kong was down 38% at one stage mm, yeah. uh, at its low from uh, roughly the year end. And clearly it was to do with the fact that, well, two real issues, uh, which was that, you know, Xi Jinping's rule over China has been solidified. It really is a sort of one-man state at the moment. Um, and secondly, his view on how to eradicate COVID basically killed the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll never know how much it killed the economy, but it's pretty obvious it did. Uh, and it's only once that those restrictions on COVID have been lifted and, you know, people have been spreading it with alacrity to each other, but the economy's back up and running, that the stock markets in both Hong Kong and China uh, have you know, have rebounded. And my, have they rebounded? You know, don't forget, in the month of... Uh, it was the month of October or November, Hong Kong was up 25% in a month. Wow. You know, like, so, you know, they, these things got absolutely pounded. Uh, I did talk a little bit about the, the big tech stocks in Hong Kong, and I said one of the ways to buy them was, was K-Web. Uh, K-Web's down about um, 17% over the year. It's down about, down about 14% from when we broadcast. So that's actually no worse. In fact, it's better than the S&P 500. But boy, did it take you on a ride. And, and in essence, both Hong Kong and China took you on amazing rides. If you dollar cost averaged, you've actually not done too bad, okay? Yes. But that's weasel words, okay? Yeah, the simple yeah, fact yeah. is China didn't do any better than America uh, and it was a hell of a lot more volatile. In terms of Hutch, uh, CK Hutch, CK Hutchison is basically, it's the holding company for Li Ka-shing, who's the richest person in Hong Kong. 
And uh, it's basically a conglomerate. It's a, it's a real conglomerate. It basically owns one of the world's largest beauty and health uh, retail chains, which is called Watson's, which is obviously in, in that region. It's got a lot of port assets in Hong Kong and in China. Uh, and, of course, it's got massive telecom interests, mobile interests in Europe. Uh, it owns, for example, it owns uh, the three network in, uh, in the UK. So with, with Hutch, what's happened with Hutch? It's down uh, roughly about um, 20% since we broadcast. So it's done no better than markets. Its PE is now five. Oh, wow. wow. So in, in fact, all that's happened is the PE has gone from about seven to five. Its earnings are still actually growing, not very much, but they're growing a little bit. And what investors are looking for in Hutch is actually uh, some mergers and sales of some of the mobile phone carriers that, that they own in Europe, particularly actually in the UK, where there's a proposed merger between 3 and Vodafone, which is, you know, that's going to obviously get uh, sussed out by the monopoly authorities and everything else because it is going to make the largest player. So what you're looking at is a bit more capital management, um, you know, a little bit more merging and a little bit more earnings growth and a little bit of a pickup in China and Hutch at uh, roughly the current price of 45 Hong Kong dollars a share, P of 5. Uh, I still own it. I haven't touched it during the year, nibbled around obviously in it a bit as it's come down, uh, but I still rather like that. It's not a huge play on Hong Kong. It's a bit of a play on Hong Kong. The markets in China and Hong Kong, quite clearly, I think they're just really going to be driven by government again. Mm. I certainly think, you know, at, at these types of levels, you know, I do think they're actually, you know, quite interesting at sort of below 20,000 on the Hang Seng Index and around 13 on the China A uh, Index. I think they're quite interesting simply because it's clear for the government that they still only exist at the behest of the population and the population ain't happy. Yeah. And they want and the population the trade off we all know the trade off in China. The trade off is basically political freedom for economic wealth. Yeah. That's yeah. the trade off. And well, they haven't had the second bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess the big question with China this year is you ease COVID zero, what actually happens with yeah. COVID? We spoke about uh on our dive podcast this morning that the official numbers coming out of China are 2,000 cases over yeah. the weekend. Uh, some unofficial estimates put it up to 40 million cases. Yeah, exactly. So that's a wide range of outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think what's quite clear is, I mean, yeah, don't forget, I mean, you know, just the way we have in Australia and around the world, you sort of get used to COVID, you know, we get it now, you know, each of us is going to get it now and again. Mm. Uh, you might get it once a year. Uh, it's not the flu, but we're going to start treating it like the flu, yeah. I think is the best way to put it. So... Let's put a pin in China. Uh, yep. Because let's move to another authoritarian regime that captured headlines this year. And this is probably the bold prediction that uh, stuck out in our mind the most. And that was around Russia. There's one other market which is actually very, very big. It has some astonishing companies. And particularly just as we speak, for reasons which are extremely obvious, called the Ukraine border. There are a stack of things in Russia oh, okay. that are about as cheap as they ever get. Mm. One hint on buying Russian stocks. Number one, you can buy them in London. So you can buy all these things through global depository receipts in London. Okay. So you don't have to open an account with a stockbroker. You'd prefer not to. <laughs> but the second thing is you always buy Russian stocks when there's a political problem. 
okay, because they can run extremely hard and get not super expensive but a little expensive, but they fall to pieces whenever there's a risk of some real political upheaval. And the political upheavals usually revolve around the armed forces. Yeah, right. Okay, and they usually revolve around the armed forces sort of poking their nose into a former Soviet republic. So that was the commentary. Now, you did also do a follow-up written piece that's available on our website, I think, around uh, March or April uh-huh. um, that was actually at the re- from the request of the community because they listened to this and then wanted your thoughts on, you know, how to uh, approach Russia post-invasion. So where are we at? Okay, the whoosh sound is the sound of Andrew Brown leaving the room. <laughs> extremely quickly. Um, there are a few things in that which... Um, yeah, none of none of that has worked out. Let's make that abundantly clear. <laughs> none of that has worked out at all. Um, the only thing the, the only thing that's vaguely worked out. I mean, obviously the oil price has been good, and I think one of the stocks I mentioned was Gazprom. Mm. Um, but you know that 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 stock is down, even though every other oil stock in the world is is up by multiples. First of all, the London listings have all gone. They've all been delisted from London. So um, you either had to get out or I've been able to convert uh, one of my London listed stocks, which is Spurbank, uh, into Russian stock. Right. So I actually, I actually hold Russian stock on one of my accounts and I can't sell it, but it's, you know, if, if things, things clearly will liquefy at some stage in the future, it's just we don't know when. Okay, but they will liquefy at some stage in the future, hopefully when someone else is liquefied. Why was that prediction wrong? Before I made that prediction, obviously before I bought any shares in Russia myself, you know, quite clearly I want to check out, you know, what is the real probability of, of Putin invading Ukraine in a serious fashion other than skirmishes along the border, which has been going on for ages? And, you know, I read a lot of people that are really, really smart, you know, that, that know Russia extremely well, and the virtually universal opinion from them was he won't do it because he won't be able to execute it properly. Even, I mean, Bill Browder, one of your guests, Bill Browder said that, okay? And, you know, various other people I listen to that are, you know, Russian emigres and everything else, virtually to a person said that he wouldn't do it because it would turn into a disaster. And they've been absolutely right in that it's turned into a disaster, but unfortunately he did do it. So I think it just shows how mentally unstable he, he is now. Um, he's clearly ill. Not, you know, he's clearly physically ill. I think you can see that as well. So um, clearly what I did not expect to happen happened. And what I certainly did not expect, and I think I made this clear in the piece that I wrote, was that Europe was so stunningly unified to put in place sanctions against Russia in that way, even though it hindered them economically, yeah, because of the lack of gas and, to a lesser degree, the lack of oil and some other things. Clearly, the fact that he went into Ukraine and then the European specifically reaction rather than the US reaction, one of the things that we've now seen, okay, and we've seen it a little bit in terms of the US-China relationship as well, is guess what? Financial warfare is now a real thing. Mm. Okay, we will take you know if you're a, if you're a if you're a naughty country, we'll take away your access to capital markets. Particularly if you're a bit more of a fringe country, you will not have access to capital markets, um, and, and that clearly has 
caught up with Russia. They've tried to negate that with, with obvious things like, you know, curtailing oil supplies and gas supplies and everything else. Uh, how does this play out? Well, look, um, none of those shares are going to be liquid. You know, I can't sell my spur bank, uh, but nothing will be liquid until basically the, UK, the Ukraine situation is settled. Uh, and settled does not mean Russia controlling Ukraine. It means Russia getting out of Ukraine in some agreed fashion, whatever that fashion is. Uh, and it probably really needs Putin to not be around, mm. to be frank. And, uh, I, you know, my suspicion is that on natural causes rather than you know, bullets and bombs uh, is, is the best chance of him disappearing. <laughs> Did you guys see the story earlier this month that he fell down the stairs and soiled himself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially a bit of... Yeah. Uh, Information warfare from our American <laughs> friends. Oh, but absolutely. I like to believe that it's true. <laughs> All right, Andrew. So, we'll so that's, a, that's a categoric cross. We can't, we can't, <laughs> yes, that's can't a no. that one. All right, we'll move yeah. on to a stock-specific comment. Yeah. One of the most interesting ideas I've got, and I do have a holding in it, is Dropbox. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. Dropbox is $9 billion business, market mm. cap. It's got net cash. It's got Elliott Associates on the register, which is generally a good thing. Hello, BHP. Well, uh, Twitter had them. Twitter. Nothing seemed, well, nothing seemed to happen. Dropbox is interesting because they've definitely changed tack. So that's where we landed. So let's start with the outcome and then get to how it happened. Uh, Dropbox down 7% year to date. Yep. But that's the best of a bad bunch when it comes to Absolutely. tech stocks. Yeah. We you said, take, what, Ap- Apple was down 20%, Microsoft yeah. was down 23%, Alphabet down 34%. Yep. So Dropbox beat them all. Absolutely. Uh, were you right in your thesis? Yes, because what the company's done is just carried on doing what it's been doing for the last year and a bit, which is under pressure from Elliott and others. Um, the company's been basically growing its free cash flow as quickly as it can. Okay, now its definition of free cash flow it includes stock-based compensation. Okay, which obviously adds to free cash flow. But it's talking a billion dollars of free cash flow next year and about 360 million of that will be stock-based comp. Okay, but it still means they're going to be minting six to seven hundred million of real free cash flow. The market cap's about 8.5 billion. There is no debt. So the thesis that I had, a year, uh, you know, close on a year ago, it's just continued playing out. It's just the market hasn't wanted to pay any more for it. Okay, but certainly in terms of delivery, the margins that the company's got have grown quite sharply. They're now up over 80% from the mid-70s. They're continuing to grow customers um, and they are continuing to produce genuine free cash flow, which they are using to buy back stock aggressively. They've bought back 7% of the stock this year. Mm. Can you explain the share component of that free cash flow? Yeah, there are three components to cash flow in any set of accounts. There's what's called operating cash flow, there's then uh, investing cash flow and financing cash flow. I'll deal with financing first. It's basically share issuance, uh, okay, but it does unfortunately include leases and rental these days thanks to the world of accountants. Investing cash flow is predominantly capital expenditure, okay, so buying new plant, new servers, new whatevers and things like that. Operating cash flow is obviously what comes out of the business and quite clearly if If you pay your staff using shares, then you're not paying them cash, okay? So you have to expense those shares in your profit and loss accounts, 
before you then adjust them out with adjusted EBITDA and things like that. But uh, that has to go through the accounts. But, of course, you're not paying out cash because you're giving them shares. And so it boosts your operating cash flow relative to your reported profit. Mm. Okay? And there's about... Some of these things are very significant. The, the big kahuna of this is, is you know, is your favourite Australian tech giant uh, Atlassian. Uh, Atlassian only make cash flow because of the vast amount of stock they issue to employees. And don't forget, this gets harder. You know, know, when your share price comes down by three quarters, do employees really want that stock anymore? Can Can they live without it? You know, do they really want cash? Uh, and if the if the if the market for tech employees is tight, you know, then basically people will go to place and pay cash rather than stock. Now, as we well know, the market for tech employees may have been tight a few months ago, but it ain't tight anymore. You know, it's getting loose. Well, Andrew, that's seven of the fourteen. I think we give Dropbox a yes. So, to recap, uh, we've got. Yes uh, to inflation, no to investing themes, yes to Trump is back in the equation and earnings growth big won't yes, be as big easy, yes. big yes. The two about China, no, Russia, no, Dropbox, yes. So we're about 50-50 at this point. Yeah, fair comment. So let's take a break and then on the other side, we're going to talk crypto, politics, property prices and the RBA. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. All right. Well, we are joined by Andrew Brown. We are reviewing his bold predictions for 2022. We've covered seven so far. We've got seven to go. And Andrew, this one was all about crypto. I do believe one of the things I think is really going to happen over the course of 2022 is... I believe the crypto world is going to go through some fairly significant upheaval. Okay. Hit that as a bold prediction. You can hit that as a bold <laughs> prediction. And the upheaval is going to mean that Bitcoin and, to a degree, Ethereum are going to get moved out of fashion. Okay. Because Bitcoin does nothing. It 
does zero. It has People listening and disagree, take it up with Andrew. Yeah, take it up with me. It does nothing. Ethereum does some things. We know Solana does some more things Mm. and then there's a whole lot of other coins which you can ring me up and tell me about which do lots and lots (laughs) of things uh, and will play a role in the metaverse and they will play a role in distributed ledger technology. Mm. Um, They may play a minor role in fintech. I think what's going to happen is in the crypto world, the regulators are starting to come. In a world where interest rates are going up, so your speculation is no longer free, Mm. where too many of the old coins are controlled by whales, these things are oligopolies. You know, don't come and tell me you love crypto because you are rebelling against the world and, you you want a new world. That's a nonsense, you know. You're not. You're making the rich people even richer, okay? (laughs) I urge you to read a piece by Scott Galloway, uh, which is published recently, which is called Web3, okay? And it's about how many of you think Web3 is wonderful, but it's it's the same old oligopolists. Mm. It's just a new bunch of oligopolists trying to you know, get rid of the old bunch of oligopolists. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to do that, you might as well reinvest in Russian equity. <laughs> so upheaval, we saw, certainly saw that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the most interesting thing, I mentioned Solana on there. Obviously, Solana got absolutely smashed to pieces during the year because Solana was uh, one of the coins that was involved in the Terra Luna collapse. Mm. Uh, it was on the fringes of the FTX collapse as well. One of the things I didn't mention clearly there, and I think the thing that's really come home to roost in crypto this year is, is, you know, it's not just the collapse in the value of these coins and the collapse of exchanges and networks and and the fraud that's gone on. What I think stunned everybody is the interconnectedness of these networks, which I don't think until partway through the year really got brought home. And when Terra Luna collapsed, I think it was then that people started to realise, hey... You know, all these guys are linked up, you know, in various different ways. And we didn't really know that. And that, of course, starts to spread fear and panic. Or FUD, as all you crypto geeks say. But, yeah, it's real FUD. You know, because it turned out, you know, they were all lending to each other. Um, You know, they were all um, utilising you know, the exchanges to, you know, to borrow money from, you know, you know if you don't believe me, just, just read the SEC indictments against SBF. Yeah, no, we're not saying that's true. It's an indictment, so it may or may not be true. It's got to be proven in court. But, wow, you know, it's pretty amazing stuff. Mm. You know, our, you know it's, it's like you give, you know, it is seriously, you, not giving you money to the stockbroker but giving you money to the ASX. Yeah, and the ASX just take your money and lend it to some hedge fund that they're operating on the side. Mm. You know, it's just incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, I, I yeah, unfortunately know some people in Australia who had money on FTX, thought it was reasonably safe. You know, forget it. It's gone. Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I think... I'm not saying crypto is dead, but I think it's you know it's pretty badly wounded. And I think for people that are going to... Uh, that are pro-crypto... Yeah, to build your case to explain why people should invest in crypto, yeah, I think in the future is going to be extraordinarily difficult. And, of course, we've got to the irony that you've got people in crypto, you know, the free world who want the regulators to come and clean things up for them. Mm. Well, that's, that's, that's so nonsensical. It's not yeah, funny. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, isn't there? There is, which, um, is, which is really poor. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm going to claim... And, 
11 out of 10 on that one. Yeah. De- decentralized profits, centralized losses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's called capitalism. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right, the next one was to do with the election. We've got an election. That election is going to be close. I think there will be a change of government, mm. but they're not going to have a majority in the upper house. Easy. Easy, yes, and yes. Yeah, tick, tick. All right. The next one, Andrew, got to squeeze in a property one and, boy, did you squeeze one in. So Australia could be interesting and if the economy is is a lot slower and property prices start to come off and they will. That is a bold prediction. No. Property debt is 96% of GDP. Are you saying property prices will be lower than... Yes. Write that down. That's a bold prediction. Yeah, nobody (laughs) expects it. There we go. There we go. Property prices lower. Well, Andrew, I think we can definitively say you're right there. Sydney, I think, is down 11%. But nationally, I think we're down about 3% for the year. Oh yeah, I think that's I think that's taking Adelaide and giving it a weighting of about forty percent or something. <laughs> Look, yeah, we, it's more uh, than that. I'm yeah. just deferring to yeah. poor logic here, but yeah. uh, I think either yeah. way, property prices yeah. are down. What I do want to stress about this, I mean, I, I think that's you know, I, I think that's a tick. But what I do want to stress is, I yeah, and and it goes back to where we were, for example, on the big eight U.S. tech stocks. I don't think. Anybody realised, or not anybody, but a lot of people didn't realise the level of euphoria that there was at the end of 2021. I knew there was euphoria, but I didn't probably realise the magnitude of it, okay? So, you know, you had high PEs. It was a 21 PE on the S&P 500 and expectations of growth. Uh, And obviously, you had extremely low interest rates here, which I said were going to go up. And, you know, property prices that, you know, you couldn't climb over at the time. And, you know, because property is a geared asset for the vast majority of people. It's meant that people that bought around the end of 2011 and the early stage of 2020, sorry, 2021, and the early stage 2022 are obviously in a bit of a hole now. And with inflation the way it is, and if their disposable income hasn't, well, if their income hasn't gone up, then their disposable income's gone down and gone down sharply. Uh, and, you know, so it's, you know, it's going to mean, you know, a bit more pain, I'm afraid. Yeah, 2023 yeah. will be interesting. Mm. All right, so we'll keep moving. The next one was about rates and the RBA. If interest rates go, and we've got to, you've got to say, I mean, the one institution, I mean, you, you can criticise a lot of institutions in Australia, but the one that, that you know, in all seriousness, you, you really should criticise is the Reserve Bank of Australia. You know, they, they have lost the plot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they did get criticised. But, yeah, by Bryce. Uh, Bryce decided halfway through the year he was sick of uh, Philip Lowe. Philip Lowe, yeah, yeah. yeah. The most damning stuff on the RBA, and, and I'm even more vitriolic towards them now than I was a year ago. There was a series of freedom of information email releases to do with many things, but the RBA were uh, wondering why one of their economic or econometric models, which is being used by Chris Joy, who runs Coolabar Capital and also is is a correspondent for the Fin Review and writes some really interesting stuff for the Fin. Uh, And he had a guy called Peter Tulip who used to work for the Reserve Bank and Peter had developed some of those models and they were running the models and they were showing basically that property prices were going to go down and go down sharply. And the Reserve Bank's application of those models was showing that property prices were going to go nowhere. Uh, And they were wondering why there were, you know, they realised that, you know, it was the same model and they didn't know why. There were differences. And there's been some freedom of information releases. And what it showed categorically is 
the Reserve Bank is just replete with groupthink. Okay, they don't get out there, they don't look outwards, they just look internally. So all they were doing with their models was sort of playing around with the models, trying to make them work a bit better. Yeah, in other words, they were sort of trying to fiddle the model. It, um, and it was a nonsense and it took them ages and ages and ages to actually look outside and realise what was different and, and the fact that Peter Chilip had made a few changes because models change, you know, to, you know particularly econometric models to reflect what changes in the economy. Um, and the Reserve Bank have just been shown to be inward-looking, group-thinking people, and, you know, the top six of whom get paid over a million dollars a year. That's outrageous. So there's no wonder there's a review into the Reserve Bank, and I'll give you one bold prediction for 2023 right now, which is when I come back at the end of the year, Philip Lowe will not be the Governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia. Okay. Full stop, and nor (laughs) should he be. It's been a disgraceful performance. (laughs) There you go. be the chair of CBA's board or something. (laughs) He'll he'll have another extremely well-paid job somewhere. (laughs) Look, he's a a nice guy, but his performance as RBA Governor has been appalling, been dreadful. Mm. And and the culture of the RBA is as much the issue as his prognostications about interest rates. And he had plenty of chance to walk them back and didn't. But the culture of the RBA laid bare in those emails is awful. Well, we should say because... It seems that the RBA is a hot button issue in the equity rates community. Every time we post a meme or something about it, half the people jump on this bandwagon and start criticising. The other half criticise people that borrowed based on Philip Lowe's forecasts. I think we can say that regardless of how much stock you should put in what the RBA says when you make personal finance decisions, mm. the RBA screwed up. They we- did. He could. There, there was plenty of chances to re-emphasise the conditionality of the forecast. Mm. And that wasn't done. Yeah, and then he sort of says, oh, well, but, you know, I did say it was conditional. He had plenty of chances. It was only when his job was on the line that he went on television. And remember, the RBA governor, you know, they don't do press conferences, you know, after each rate rise, Mm. uh, you know, at all. So it's a very, you know, it's a very sort of inward-looking kind of thing. So I hope whoever the next Reserve Bank governor is, basically they have a press conference at the end of each, you know, RBA rate announcement to put some more bones on on the bit of paper they put out that everybody uses word to, you know, mm. see what's changed from last month to this month. Mm. Does the Fed, does Jerome Powell do a press conference? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So it's open. And I mean, sure, the press conference gets misinterpreted sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, people place too much store on word changes and things like that. But then that's up to you as the governor to, you know, to, to uh, play to that. We should pitch the RBA to do a podcast. <laughs> Not bad. No, no uh, pesky journalists asking the questions. You can control <laughs> you, you, the narrative. You bluntly, you bluntly should ask Philip Lowe to come on here because it, it, is, it is your age group and your cohort that, that are probably in, you know, in the most poo, you know, if, if, if they did go deep in 2021 or 2022 in borrowing money for a house, you know, you should get him off. I think we have asked. Asked, yeah. Yeah, it no, was Ask no. again. We'll ask again. Keep oh, asking. We'll use that sound clip. <laughs> hey, anyway. when, he's, when he's scrambling for it, you know what it's like. Politicians go on, you know, politicians go on Kiss FM and subject themselves yeah, to Kyle yeah. and Jackie O when there's an election. Oh, wait, is Andrew comparing us to Kyle and Jackie O? Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep moving 
we've got <laughs> the one. Kyle and Jackie O of finance. <laughs> we've got one on inflation in Australia. Labor costs are going up. Other costs are going up as well, and it's labor costs that are sticky. And remember, the big thing about inflation, where I might be wrong. What you don't want to see in inflation and it's starting to happen is inflation expectations rise. Mm. People are starting to say, oh, I want a pay rise. Why? Oh, because my bus fares more. But if it's still costing a lot more two-thirds of the way through 2022, then we have a problem, okay? And Australia's not immune from that. You read the financial review, it sits there thinking we're immune from all this stuff. Get out of here. We're not. Absolutely not. Jeez, Andrew, you escalated yeah. your uh, how direct you were at some Australian institutions, the Reserve yeah. Bank, the AFR. Hmm. At that stage, I think, look, a lot of them were living in dreamland, you know, a year ago. And, yeah, go back. You can, you can search the stuff out on the net. You know, it, it was far too euphoric, far too bullish. So labour costs going up, look, yeah, they have, but obviously they're still not going up, you know, at, at a rate that keeps pace with inflation at all, uh, which, which is a bit of an issue. And that's why you're starting to see more and more industrial disruption. You know, a, a lot of it is, is, is government-owned instrumentalities with, with disruption, you know, transport networks and, and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, you are starting to see more of that. Inflation expectations, um, I think that, you know, they've definitely risen, but I do think that people, you know, people are now so worried about their economic circumstances, that, that that's sort of being pushed away a little bit. You know, they're much more worried about their economic circumstances, which is why you see in surveys people working two jobs, because they can work two jobs. The demand for their labour is there, you know, with 3.6% unemployment. Uh, so the demand for their labour is there. Whether, whether they can keep working two jobs for their mental health and, and their physical health is, is a different matter altogether. But I think, you know, the inflation expectations bit, I think it's probably levelling out. Uh, and I think, so, you know, you might start to see that inflation's levelling out a little bit as well. Don't forget, we calculate it very differently to what they do in the US. You know, the shelter component in the US is a third of inflation here, it's not. So um, here we were much more impacted, I think, directly in the figures by the supply chain, uh, and that clearly has died away a little bit. To me, you know, as I think you've seen with the latest figures, I think in, inflation's starting to level out here, and if that happens, inflation expectations are levelling out. Mm. All right, two to go. Uh, this mm. one is on the Aussie, uh, Aussie market. I don't think the Aussie market will be that bad, but I just don't see it being that good. I mean, Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So um, America year-to-date down 19%. Uh, Australia year-to-date, what, down 6 Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. That's about right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, oh. not bad? Yeah. Not good? Can't go wrong with that. The simple thing, as I alluded to earlier on, is, is basically it was the resource sector that, mm. that, quote, saved the market. And, in fact, it, you know, it was three letters to some degree saved the market, which was BHP. Oh, I was going to say coal is four letters. Yeah, Cole, that's all. I mean, that, don't forget those, you know, the sort of white havens of the world and everything else are much lower components of the index. Yeah. If you bought BHP at the year end, you paid $41.50. 
but you've had $4.60 of dividends and you've had $6.44 roughly equivalent of Woodside shares yeah. with the distribution uh, sort of roughly one for five in, in, in Woodside. So BHP's returned about 37% net. And if you'd have said to me, you know, January 1, you know, January 1, 2022, BHP's going to do 37% net, I said, nah. Mm-hmm. Nah. ComBank's done pretty well, but it's done much better than most of the other banks. So Macquarie's down 15, everybody's favourite thing, which is hardly surprising. The two bellwethers of the economy, uh, Woolies down nine and a half at the time of speaking and West Farmers down 20 before dividends. Uh, you know, don't forget that West Farmers' dividend is very generous and CSL up three. So CSL's flatlined, which is pretty good, but it's been resources that have really held up the Australian mm. market in, in a much better way. But our bank stocks have actually held up fairly well. Uh, they've certainly done, they've done better than the US bank stocks did for a while. The US bank stocks have rebounded quite strongly from where they were in September, October. Is, is that surprising, though, given rising interest rates? Like you would expect no. the banks to do okay. You'd expect the banks to do okay in in a in a in a softly right. I mean, don't forget it's been a steep interest rate rising environment. Mm. But you'd expect them to do reasonably well for for two reasons. Um, first is don't forget banks have got equity. Equity in theory is free from a banking point of view. So what we call the endowment effect, which is simply you know the fact that you're earning sort of six percent instead of five uh, on 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 the free funds, uh, obviously helps your earnings. And then secondly, you can increase your margins in mm. a, a, a rising interest rate environment. That's not necessarily fully come through yet because there's been a fair amount of competition in the housing market and that's and because they're all look, they're all housing banks now. True, true. And that's yeah. and so and so if you look at NIMS, they've been a little bit variable and they haven't really moved up. Uh, but they're all cutting costs like, you know, it's going out of fashion. Mm. So I was just gonna say what's NIMS? Net interest margin. Right. Yeah, okay. okay, so you can measure it in various different ways, but it's effectively the spread between what you uh, pay on deposits and what you earn on your loans, mm. which, which you would hope is positive. <laughs> and a final one, Andrew, which was commentary on someone who should do quite well in an environment like this. And who continues to refuse to come on our podcast. Yes. <laughs> I think John, in his own way, has effectively peaked the environment the same as me. Okay. Which is John is short what he calls crap uh, and he's long good companies. And John's always short crap though. Yeah, he's always short crap. Well, John is one of our white whales here at Equity Mates. He's yeah. said no to us a few times but uh, one day we'll get, get him on. You'll get him on and he's, he, you know, this, this is the kind of environment he does really, really well. <laughs> I haven't seen John's numbers yet and they only come out usually, I think, oh, they come out monthly. Certainly the inverted commas crap that he was shorting has collapsed. Uh, or the ones we know here is shorting have absolutely collapsed. So most of the meme stocks have collapsed, particularly AMC. We know that second-line tech has been a horror story. It stunned me, actually, because in doing my homework to come on here, you sometimes forget and you think it was maybe the year before the year that you're actually reviewing, and it wasn't. I nearly fell off my chair because I was short this at uh, 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 the, the old prices. But things like ARC, which is the mm. best bellwether for second-line rubbish, mm. um, <laughs> ARC's down 63%. It's basically down from 90-odd mm. uh, to the mid-30s. The reason I'd lost track of it was I covered my short at about 39, and it's actually sort of wallowed around in the 30s for quite some time since, which was mid-year. But I'd forgotten that ARC was as high as, you know, 96 and 100 a year ago. 
Peloton is the other classic. It was down 67% in 2022 to date, and that was after it was down 75% the year before. You know, things like GameStop were only down 30, Bed Bath and Beyond, which a lot of people were touting a year ago as a nice recovery stock, it's down 80. AMC's down about 50. All the all the second line tech stuff that that people were still a little bit excited about at the start of 2022 has, has really fallen in a hole. So I'll I'll call that crap as opposed to fraudulent stuff, which we know John Short. Yeah. So we're giving that a yes. And I know I know one of John's bigger holdings is certainly up for the year, which is uh, Regeneron, um, which I also held for most of the year, but don't at the moment. Yeah, I think he also had a big position in Swedish Match, Correct. based on his Twitter, and that and that's did that acquisition ever go through? That is now going through. Yeah, so we'll make some money on that. Yeah, so I'll give that a pretty decent tick. Swedish Match, Bryce is one of their biggest customers here in Australia. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so Andrew, that is. 10 out of 14 you did say it at the top that's how it's transpired yeah so i think that's a a pass mark for sure well yeah. compared to what we did compared on Monday. to what we did <laughs> just to remind the listeners um we we do this we usually record this in january and it, mm. it goes to air a week or two later or a week later and uh, i don't get a chance to change any of this stuff no yeah no, 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 it, no. it, it is it is it is a straight out you know sort of you know put, put everything on the table at the start of the year and you don't get a chance to change it so so, you know, I have to say, I mean, about four weeks into this thing, I'm, I'm there going, oh, dear, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, particularly with Russia. So I've got to say, I thought the environment, the, the overall environment I thought was actually fairly easy to call at the start of 2022 because, you know, I, I said I thought there was a degree of euphoria. I didn't realise how much. Uh, and, and, of course, it's going to presage the fact that I think 2023 is going to be much harder prospect. Yeah, so we are going to get you back, Andrew, as always, in at the start of 2023 for your bold predictions, which we're incredibly excited for. That is going to be a little bit later than normal. Mid-Feb will be when we're releasing that after our summer series. But, Andrew, uh, well done. Much better than Ren and I. Yes. Uh, we'll be taking more notes than usual next time you come in. But thank you so much, A, for um, your time today, but B, also for the continued support for Equity Mates and uh, the time that you give us each and every year. We do very much appreciate it, as do the rest of the Equity Mates community. That's so my you. pleasure, you know, what you do for, for people to help learn. Uh, that's the main thing. It's learning and mm. then adapting that education to your style and your way of doing things with a few core lessons underneath. And if I help you do that just one tiny bit, then it's well worth my, my time coming on and doing it. And thanks, thanks for your support and have a happy holiday. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. This is the story of The One. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.